four today. Um, what I'm going to do is, rather than uh, try and go through verse by verse, I'm just going to tell you the story, and you can kind of go and read it yourself if you haven't done so already. I think it's a story that we're, we're probably familiar with, but I just want to set up a, a bit of a, a trajectory where we're going to go today, and, and then hopefully that will sort of set the context. So maybe, I, maybe I'll just pray. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you are, you're the enlightener. You shine your light in dark places and reveal the truth. In fact, you shine even in our hearts and you shine out of our hearts. So I pray today that the neurons would fire and the penny would drop for people and that something transformative would happen in us as we engage with the message that you have for us today. So we open our ears to hear you and we open our hearts to your wave of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the story and... So just listen. So rather than kind of going going through trying to read line by line, you can kind of do this afterwards and uh, and maybe go back to it if you want. So um, I've got this. So I've got my phone here to kind of just remind me of a couple of things in case I forget them. Uh, but I think I've got it. So anyway, opening trajectory. We often, I think, are in a situation where we misunderstand the gospel. I think people misunderstand the gospel a lot. And they misunderstand the Christian message. I was remembering this morning how in the 90s people had this fad of wearing these WWJD bands. I don't know if you remember those. There were uh, What Would Jesus Do bands. And they, um, they, they were spoke, people would wear them around their wrists and the idea was like, if you're thinking a bad thought, you know, if you're really cross with someone, look at the wristband and it would remind you, what would Jesus do? Would he say that? Would he get cross with that person? Would he swear? Would, whatever it is. It's supposed to be like a reminder think what Jesus would do and then try and copy that and imagine what Jesus would do in that situation and try and copy that and I get the sentiment it's a it's a, not a bad sentiment you know I think that it's a noble thing to try and imagine well, what is what is Jesus what does he represent to us as an example for how we should behave and then we should try and emulate that like this it's not a bad mindset you know it's not a bad mentality to have However, I would like to just start today by saying, um, Jesus is not your example to follow. And maybe that sounds a little bit strange. We're used to talking about being followers of Jesus. But I would like to suggest to you that all the followers of Jesus failed abysmally at being followers of Jesus in the Gospels. That by the time he came to get crucified, they'd all abandoned him. They'd all given up. And the bottom line is, if you're trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to emulate him and follow in his footsteps, you are going to get so far and then you're going to fail. And it might be that you get a little bit further than someone else, but ultimately everybody fails. No one can follow Jesus all the way. And, and actually one of the things that happens throughout the Gospels is there's this, this unraveling of this idea that we're even capable of following Jesus and emulating him in any meaningful way, which isn't to say it's a, it's a bad thing or it's not a noble idea. It is a noble idea. But actually, Jesus, he shifts this around and he says, actually, it's not about following me. It's about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And this is such a radical idea. It, it blows people's minds. It scrambled everyone in the New Testament and it's, it scrambles us, us today. But I, I want to set that kind of context because if you're anything like me, if you've heard maybe two dozen sermons on Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus being tempted by the devil. If you're anything like me, you'll have heard this taught 
nine times out of ten as, okay, Jesus goes into the desert, he gets tempted by the devil, the devil tries to tempt him with scripture, and Jesus uses scripture to combat the devil's temptation. Therefore, because Jesus is our example, we ought to follow him, and when the devil tempts us, we ought to use the Bible and quote verses at the devil, and that's how we get rid of the devil. If you're anything like me, I've heard that sermon over and over again, you know, two dozen times or more over the years, probably even much more than that. And I want to say, if that's all this story is about, then it's a waste of space. Because Jesus could just turn around and say, hey guys, listen, when the devil tempts you, just use the scripture and, and, you know, command him to go away with the scripture. It just takes two verses in the New Testament to tell us that. If that's what this story is about, then all the rest of the narrative is, is a complete waste of time. So I want to suggest to you that if we're reading Jesus in the wilderness as from a, from a perspective of Jesus as an example we've got to follow, we are going to completely miss the point of what the story is actually trying to tell us. So let me just recap the story. Jesus goes to see John the Baptist and he gets baptized in the Jordan River. When he's baptized in the Jordan River, the person of the Holy Spirit appears in physical form as a dove and comes and rests upon him. And the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It then says that Jesus is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads him to go from the Jordan into the wilderness. When he's in the wilderness, he fasts for 40 days, and at the end of 40 days, it says that Satan appears and begins to, uh, begins to test him, or to tempt him. And he, he comes with three tests. In the first one, he says, if you're really the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And in the second one, he says, um, he, he takes him up onto the, uh, the top of the temple, and he says, throw yourself off the top of the temple, because if you're the Son of God, the Bible says that the angels will catch you in their hands, and you won't even, you won't even dash your foot against a stone. You're not even going to trip and stub your toe, basically. So do it, and then, you know, God will, uh, will command his angels, and they'll, they'll pr- protect you. If you're really the Son of God, do that. And then the third one is he, he says, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all of these belong to me. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give them to you. And if you know the story, you remember in each of them, Jesus does respond with the scripture. That in the first one, he says, man will not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the second one, uh, he says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And the third one is, uh, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then it says the devil departs. In Matthew's version of the of the story, it, there's this last line. It says, then angels came and attended to Jesus. Uh, in Luke's gospel, it just leaves that, that bit out. But it's basically the same story. So uh, th- this, is the, th- this is the quick kind of potted version of the story. If you think about a few things around it, um, it's, it's an unusual story in the gospels because... Nobody was there to see it happen. Like most of the stories in the gospel, you've got the disciples are there and they're witnessing it. They're listening to Jesus. They're seeing the miracles. They're, 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 they're there. It's a first-hand experience of what's going on. But in this story, no one's there except for Jesus. So we have to reason that the disciples got this story from Jesus relaying it to them. They weren't there to see it happen. They, they were to hear it after the fact. So Jesus tells them, this is what happened when I was in the desert for 40 days. So whatever was going on with Jesus at that time was, was so significant that of all of the private times he had, all of the private prayer times, he would often withdraw to lonely places and pray, the Bible says. He would often commune with the Father and the Spirit away from anybody else. And 
in this particular instance, he's, he's chosen to take the experience that he had in the wilderness and relay it to the disciples. So this shows us that something really, really important is taking place here. Also, it's 40 days worth of experience, and it's relayed into just 11 or 12 verses. So there is far more going on here than we can possibly condense into 11 or 12 verses. But the key themes that are there in those 11 or 12 verses, it, it should be, um, those, those should be kind of like flags to us or notifications that every element that's present in this story is important for us to understand something because it's been very deliberately chosen to be there out of 40 days worth. You know, that's 24 hours a day for 40 days worth of experience in the desert. It's just condensed into these, these lines. So this is a, all this backdrop should cause us to pause for a moment and say, actually, we really need the Holy Spirit's help to understand what's going on here. If we simply reduce it to Jesus is giving us tips for how to fight the devil, then I think we are going to thoroughly miss the point. I started by saying, I think we misunderstand the gospel and we misunderstand Jesus a lot. I think Christians misunderstand the gospel a lot. The gospel means good news, you know, and I think that unless, let me put it this way, we know we've heard the gospel when it sparks astonishment in our hearts, when it sparks overflowing and ecstatic joy in our lives. That's the natural consequence of hearing the gospel. If the gospel that we're hearing is not sparking astonishment and it's not sparking joy, then I would like to suggest to you it's probably not the gospel. Or at the very least, it's a very diminished gospel. It's a very sanitized or prepackaged version of the gospel that kind of has a bit of an effect, but the best it does is it gives you this kind of lifestyle of, okay, here's how we pray and here's how we do good works and, and this is how we kind of live in a, in a good kind of Christian moral way in our, in our life and in our society. There's nothing astonishing about that. There's nothing that blows your mind. The gospel is supposed to completely blow every sense out of the water. And that's what's happening in this story. But if we don't understand the background, we can't see how. So let me just tell you another story which is going to have been in the minds of the hearers. A story that all of the disciples understood because this was part of their their culture. And this is the story of Adam and Eve. And we may be familiar with the story in, in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, you, you know, uh, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and then they, are, uh, they have to go out of the garden. They get expelled from the Garden of Eden, and then they're, they're actually out in the wilderness. And it's a very short story in Genesis, but it, it obviously begins the whole uh, Bible in the canon that we have. But sometime in, in the century or two before uh, Jesus was born, there were some other writings that are kind of part of the Jewish wider uh, storytelling around what happened in the life of Adam and Eve and what's the fall all about and what is the human problem? What, what is it that, that causes evil in the world and how do we overcome this and what solution does God provide? And there is a collection of works called The Life of Adam and Eve. And The Life of Adam and Eve actually explore these themes and they kind of, they, they flesh out the story. It's kind of the, the rabbis are trying to imagine what was life actually like for Adam and Eve after they went out of the garden? And it, it opens up this whole narrative. And this is a story that actually was very much embedded. It was, would have been like the Sunday school of the, of the day in Jewish times. They would have learned these kinds of stories and they, they would have understood them and just taken them as read. And 
if we understand the, the story of the life of Adam and Eve, then we'll see that there are many parallels that are present in the story of Jesus going into the wilderness. So I'm just going to really quickly go through a couple of points and show how they connect. So in the story of Adam and Eve, um, they get expelled from the garden, they go into the wilderness, and they look for food. There's no food. They, they had food in the garden, they don't have food out in the wilderness. And they're starving, and they're hungry. And they're very depressed, extremely depressed, actually. In fact, Adam's so depressed, he wants to kill himself. And they kind of reason together, and they say, we don't have any food here, it's awful out here in the wilderness, you know, everything's terrible, life was so much better when we were, when we were back in the, in the Garden of Eden, maybe we could somehow persuade God to let us back in. This is what happens in the story. And Adam says, you know, we have to show God that we're really, really sorry that we ate the fruit that we shouldn't have eaten. And we need to be really penitent. And, and we've got to prove that, you know, it's not just kind of, we're a little bit sorry, we're extremely sorry. So he says to Eve, I think what we should do is we should take 40 days and you and I should go and stand in, uh, in two rivers. And Adam says to Eve, I'm going to go stand in the River Jordan for 40 days, and I'm going to prove to God how sorry I am by standing in the river for, in the river for 40 days. And you go stand in the River Tigris for 40 days, and, and this will demonstrate, you know, we'll show how pious we are and how much we've changed and how, uh, how good we are now, and maybe this will persuade God to let us back in. So they go and stand in the two rivers. Uh, Satan comes back, and he, and he goes and uh, appears as an angel of light, and he goes and tricks Eve again. And he says to Eve, it's okay, after seven days, God's, God's not angry with you anymore. It's all right, you can come out of the river and God will let you back in. And Eve gets tricked, she comes out of the, uh, of the river. And then they go to see Adam. And then Adam's like freaking out again. He's still in the river Jordan. He's like, oh no, it's all, it's all failed again. You know, we've screwed it all up. And then he gets into this discussion with Satan. And he says to Satan, why do you hate us anyway? Why are you, why are you causing us so much trouble? And Satan says to him, well, when God created you, he put his image in you, and he told me, the archangel Michael told me, I had to worship you, because you are the image of Jehovah on the earth. And I refused to do it, and that's why I got thrown out of heaven. So I decided what I was going to do was get you thrown out of paradise like I was thrown out of heaven. This is, this is the story of, uh, of, in, in the life of Adam and Eve, and you know, it kind of goes on and on. But there are some key parallels, and maybe you've noticed them already in just the telling of these two stories. So first of all, the story begins with Jesus going to the Jordan River. He's baptized in the Jordan River. And when he's baptized in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in bodily form. He's filled with the Spirit, and he hears the Father say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. We'll dial back to Adam. When Adam was in the Jordan River, Adam was there because he didn't believe he was God's Son... He, he believed he was separated from the Father, that he had no, nothing good in him, and that he was trying to prove his worthiness and, and earn his way back into the garden by planting himself in, in the river for 40 days. So Adam goes out from uh, paradise, from the Garden of Eden, he goes into the wilderness, and he's expelled or at least this is Adam's perspective. He's expelled from paradise into the garden. Jesus, however, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit himself who leads Jesus from, from the Jordan into the wilderness. So, meanwhile, you've, you've got these two stories happening in parallel. You've got Adam in the wilderness saying, I'm alone, I'm abandoned, I'm depressed. I've got to find some way to prove that, to God that I've changed so that he'll let me back in. Jesus, meanwhile, is God's answer. Jesus goes into the wilderness and sits down with Adam in the place of Adam's distress and Adam's darkness. 
Adam is hungry. He's starving because there's no food in the wilderness. So Jesus goes and enters into Adam's hunger. He enters into his starvation by being there for, for, for those 40 days. Then when Satan comes to test him, the, the tests that, that Satan offers to him are actually linked to the, uh, the, the story that was going on in the life of Adam and Eve. But I, I want to just bring up the, the, uh, uh, the third one where he says, um, Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, where Satan says, if you bow down and worship me, then I'll give you the nations. This goes back to the story of Adam and Eve where Satan says, I'm against you, Adam, because God told me to worship you. Because you carry the image of Jehovah. So here, this is, this is Jesus standing in his identity as the son of God. And he's, he's demonstrating, actually, here, he is the embodiment of Jehovah. Fully man and fully God. He has walked right into Adam's darkness. He has sat with Adam for those 40 days. And he sat with Eve for, for, for those 40 days. And he has, uh, he has faced off against every accusation of Satan that was brought against Adam. And actually, if you think about the, the accusation right back into, the, into Genesis 2, what is it that Satan says to Adam in the garden? He, he, well, he, say, he says to Eve and Adam, we'll, we'll put them together. He says, did God really say? He questions what God really said. And he, he sets up this kind of uh, doubt in their minds because he says to them, if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can become like God. But the whole point of the story is they were already like God. Because they, they already were alive because God had breathed his breath into them. And the word breath is the same word for spirit. It says God breathes his spirit into Adam and Adam becomes a living being. So Adam has life because God's spirit is actually in Adam. This is different. In, it's, it's described differently from all other things in creation, which are created through the word. But specifically, it says when God creates man, when he creates hum, humanity... It shows us that humanity is alive because God's spirit is inside them. And Adam, when he's kicked out of the garden, we we could put it this way, you know, God creates Adam in his image. And then when Adam sins, he recasts God in Adam's image. And that is he's suddenly afraid of God. He tries to hide from him. He tries to cover himself up with, um, with fig leaves. Because suddenly he's like, God's somebody who's dangerous and someone I should, I should keep away from because I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm unable. I'm uh, incapable. I'm unholy. I'm, I'm a sinner now. So I have to stay away from him and there's no way that he, he can look upon me. All the while, God in the garden is trying to pursue Adam. He's not hiding from him. He's trying to reach him. But God says, Adam, you've gone so far into your darkness and into your delusion now that you can't see me for who I am any longer. And then suddenly, finally, Jesus comes on the scene, who is the embodiment of Father, Son, and Spirit. It says, in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. And, and Jesus says, I am going to go to the very place where Adam has sat in his darkness and his suicidal depression. I'm going to go and presence myself there in that wilderness. And I'm going to show beyond any doubt that I am there. I've not abandoned him. I'm sitting down with him in the dust of the earth. I'm feeling with him. I'm experiencing with him that, that, that hunger, that uh, solitude, that aloneness, that depression. All of those things, are, Jesus is saying, I am entering fully into that darkness. 
You see that Jesus in the wilderness is, is a prefiguration of Jesus going to the cross, where ultimately he, he even goes into the death of Adam and into the death of all of us and shows us just how much the, the light of God has penetrated to the deepest corner of everywhere. There is nowhere where the presence of God isn't. Like David prophesied, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down into Hades, into the grave, you are there. If, if I go east, if I go west, doesn't matter where I go, you fill everything. And so this is Jesus, he's entering right into the midst of Adam and our mess and showing the presence of God has taken up residence right at ground zero, right at the center of our, our holocaust, uh, of, the, of the human condition. How does this anchor in for us now? Well, I, I wanted to bring out one final nuance of this because I, I think this is, um, there's a beautiful little nugget that's kind of hidden in there. When Jesus is speaking to Satan, in the Greek, there's an interesting play in, in the language. And it actually uses what we call the reflexive a pronoun, which is to say, when Jesus is speaking to the devil, um, I might say, uh, Jesus spoke to him. Jesus spoke to the devil. Jesus answered him. That's generally how it's pr- translated in uh, an, our New Testament. But if you actually go to the Greek, it, it doesn't actually say Jesus answered him. The word him is a pronoun, and the reflexive version of the pronoun is used, and that's the word himself. So when Jesus says, it says Jesus answered him, it actually says Jesus answered himself. And this is a very deliberate decision that's made by uh, the, the gospel writers to show the direction of the conversation. Now, we usually imagine that the devil's standing there in front of Jesus, and Jesus is kind of having this face-off with him. But actually, by using this word himself... It's showing that the dialogue is actually taking place in Jesus' own mind. That he's hearing Satan in his own mind and he's answering, he's saying to himself. He's saying to himself, Satan, you have no currency here. I worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus is actually speaking it into himself. He's not speaking it outwardly. And this is profound because what, what you have here, also when Jesus goes up onto the, um, uh, up onto the temple, this is te- a temptation to suicide. This is exactly what Adam had in the story of Adam and Eve. He was tempted to suicide because he was so depressed and he, and he believed that God had abandoned him. And Jesus comes to say, God has never abandoned you, Adam. You don't need to, you don't need to suffer that. But Jesus himself entered into it. When he was standing on the, on the, um, on, on the, the corner of the temple in this kind of visionary form in the wilderness, this is Jesus entering into suicidal thoughts. This is Jesus allowing the intrusive, uh, uh, disturbance of, of, um, of all kinds of different mental health conditions and, um, and brokenness and trauma. Um, all of that, he is embodying it in that moment. He is entering into the, the darkness of, of a tormented mind. And that's your darkness and that's my darkness. Because at some point, all of us have experienced that. And right now, in, a, in the world that we're in, and the, the situation around us, it, it looks like there's a huge amount of craziness and madness on, on all sides. And I know that many, many people have felt that acutely on the inside of them. Even if they haven't suffered with mental health issues or anxiety or stress 
or, or other kinds of uh, related things before. They certainly are, many people, suffering with it now, even, even if they never have done before. But what does Jesus in the wilderness show us? This shows us that even when we're feeling completely assaulted, even when it feels like our own thoughts are betraying us and are becoming the mouthpiece for our enemy, Satan, that Jesus is saying, I, but I'm already there. I've already sat down with you on that park bench. I've already stood with you on that cliff edge. I am there and I've already overcome on your behalf. Because Jesus is not our example to follow. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is the one who goes there on our behalf. He says, what you are powerless to do, I have done for you. The Apostle Paul says, what we were powerless to do, God did in Christ. Christ did it on our behalf. He overcame all of these things in his own physical body, in his own uh, human condition. And telling the story in the way that Jesus did to the disciples when he knew that they understood the background of the story of the life of Adam and Eve would have been mind-blowing to the hearers. They would have understood those cues. They would have understood those connections. They would have realized what Jesus is doing is he is wading right into the midst of all of the stories we tell ourselves about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with humanity, how we can sort ourselves out, how we can clean up this mess. He is just detonating a bomb right in the middle of all of that. And he is, he is silencing all the arguments and is showing us that here, right at the heart of the matter, is Adam. Adam is afraid. He is guilty. He is depressed. He believes he's got to prove himself to God and has somehow got to climb a religious ladder to get into God. Jesus undoes all of that and says, Adam, at your worst, I have sat down not just even with you, but I have sat down in you. You can't see it, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. Now, Jesus is here to show us that this is the truth. That I am here and I'm here to stay and there's no place you can go which can separate you from me. I have so united myself with you and with the whole human race that, I, that you can never again uh, leave any room for the question that I'm, I might not be there. And if I'm there, then I'm working for your good. I'm working for your redemption. I'm working to make all wrongs right and to bring uh, true justice to, the, uh, to every uh, corner of the earth, which is the Christian hope that ultimately in the end. God will put all wrongs right, both on the individual level and on the corporate, social, and planetary, and cosmic level. So this is the story of Jesus in the wilderness. And I, w- I want to encourage us, as we look on to, to these other stories of, in, uh, of Jesus' different encounters throughout the gospel, this same thread is running throughout them all. So let me, let me just pray uh, to finish up there. Father, I thank you that you are, um, you are opening new dimensions to us of uh, of, of just the glorious, beautiful gospel that you've given to us. I pray for the astonishment of the heart that where things have become rote or where they've become dry or, or where they, they feel powerless, uh, e- even in our Christian faith, we can feel like that sometimes. I pray for the revitalization and a clarification of the gospel where we've adopted uh, watered down versions of that message, which have just turned it into a self-help message or, or, or a, a kind of moralistic, this is how we should do life kind of message. I pray that you deliver us right now from those kinds of things. And I pray especially for anyone who's been suffering from any kind of mental torment or anguish or intrusive thoughts of any kind. Thank you, Jesus, that you yourself know exactly what it's like to feel those things fully, that you entered into schizophrenia, you entered into bipolar disorder, you entered into anxiety, you entered into post-traumatic stress, you entered into dissociative identity, you entered into every condition 
that, that is present and that could befall us. Every satanic thing that is trying to undermine or rob us from life, you have entered into that fully. And I pray now for everyone who's suffering from that, that they would know the peace of God that passes all understanding, just like a cool water uh, over those in, intrusive thoughts. And I pray that at the heart, at, at their heart, they would know, Jesus, that you have never and will never abandon them. And that you have sat down with them right at the bottom of the bottomless pit. And, you'll, and if you are there, then you're going to raise them up and raise them out of it as well. Amen. Bless you guys. Great to be with you today. And have a great afternoon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Paul. Hey, just one question while you're still there. Ooh, okay. Which was, uh, Yvonne was just asking, that story you told of Adam and Eve, yep. kind of out of the Bible story, where, where was that? It's called The Life of Adam and Eve. You can uh, look it up online. It's a collection of, um, it's a collection of different writings that are uh, kind of, Ju- they're like Jewish apocrypha. Sure. So, that's yep. ex- so it's separate to the Bible, just to be clear. Yep. And it's um, extra stuff that the Jewish, that pe- like people in Jesus' time would have been familiar with as these kind of Jewish stories. Yep. Exactly. Great. Thanks so much. That's great. great. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Great. And we've got Grace here as well. Um, yeah, that was really rich, Paul. Really rich to see um, to see that, that Eden and the beginning and, and, and that Jesus, what Jesus did, brought together and so powerful for us today. Thank you. And Grace is here as well. So, great. Grace, you got a few words to share with us? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, well, thank you so much. I, uh, even as his wife, I'm always incredibly blessed to hear his teacher gifting. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I know when the Holy Spirit is falling on something for me because my hairs go up on my arms. And I find it's whenever he's embodying the voice of God and says, I'm there with you. And I just wanted to share, I don't want to teach anything, and I don't want to take too long. But I just wanted to share a couple of pictures that I think the Holy Spirit has given for um, for you. I, I think there are some people out there that this might really touch. This isn't the only thing that's God doing. I think it's just some of the things that he's doing. And it was during worship, actually, I got these pictures. And as Paul was teaching, I thought this is uh, a few more popping into my head. So I just offer these. If this is you, you're really welcome to say, yeah, that's me on the chat. I'd love to pray for you as well. And I'll be doing that now. But the first one I get a bit emotional about because I really, I can really see someone. Um, perhaps during lockdown, and I can, I can see a person walking to um, a precipice that's looking over the valley, like, I know there's a place on the downs, and I know I've walked to a place um, in Blaze as well, where, um, sorry, I'll speak up, um, where you can look out and you can see the rest of Bristol, you can see the valley, and I saw a person standing there, and asking these really existential questions of, what am I doing? <laughs> like, Wow, I get emotional, I can feel it for you. Um, why am I here? And I just wanted to say, I really felt God just witnessing and saying that you are about to experience some of the deepest significance revelation in your life. I think you're on a precipice far from feeling like Paul's talking about alone. Maybe those are the feelings you're feeling, but I think they're actually signals to you that you're about to experience a time in your life when you're going to feel a deepest revelation of the significance of your life, why you're here, and maybe some revelation as to why things have happened. But I actually want to say, even though I say the why, I don't always think that's the thing that God's answering. I think he's meeting that deepest need for us to know you're alive for a time such as this. I really want you. And I just wanted to offer you, um, uh, at the moment, I'm reading through some Christian meditations, and they're really, really helping me. And one particular one that came out this morning that I read today, it says, You are precious in my sight. You are honoured, and I love you. And so I wanted to say it to you as God, as if he was saying it right now, which is really my heart, and I feel like he's saying it. 
that you are precious in my sight. You are honoured and I love you. And so if that's hitting you, please repeat that. Write it down. Let it be the meditation on your heart. When those thoughts again come up and you're wondering why, the why question may not be the main thing you're answering, but it's the deeper thing that that's trying to scratch at, which is you are precious in my sight. You are honoured and I love you. And so, aside from that, there are just a couple of other ones. Some little, well, I think they're fun ones. I think God's healing today, and I wonder if he's been healing as Paul has been speaking. You may think, well, why would, he, why would he do that? I think that when Jesus turns up and Christ in us, he never lacks anything he does. Like, one of the things he's big and wonderful at doing in the Bible is, is healing, and he's still doing that today. And so I felt someone, he might be a runner, or someone has been experiencing shin splints in their right shin. Um, so I just want to speak a healing word to you. Uh, could you test it out even now? I think as as we've been speaking, like God's just turning up. He doesn't need permission to do it. He can do it whenever he likes. So why don't you just test it out if it's you? Um, I also saw someone with a terrible migraine, like as if it was here, right in the center of your forehead. It's sort of burrowing down and it's been waving. And I just want to speak stop in Jesus' name. I just, I just curse that migraine. And I just, um, Father, I see your blessing and your love. Just touch it. Release it as if it was a vice coming off right now and I pray peace on your muscles your mind all around this head area that's just been feeling like it's it's distracting you it's painful father thank you thank you for touching us with your love thank you for your healing power this morning and then this last one was um I got this picture of someone dancing in lockdown but the sense I get is if this is a new thing for you I don't know what age you are. It might be a few people, but someone's picking up dance and feeling, maybe you're doing it in private space and feeling very self-conscious about it. But I saw the Holy Spirit moving your arms. I saw them just moving. And it's like a new level of freedom for you in expressing how you feel with God, what it's like to express God. So I want to bless you and encourage you, if that's you, keep going. Just keep going. Don't care about what anyone else thinks. If this is some fun thing you've got on your own time, you don't need to know where it's going to go. It doesn't have to have any purpose. It just needs to be you expressing what it's like to worship God, to be you, to be alive, to be alive for a time such as this. So yeah, be good to get some feedback if that's you, but I just bless you. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. Such a rich time, hey, of speaking into our identity of who we are in God. And I just encourage you, maybe if this is particularly feeding you, uh, bringing a peace and a kind of sense of God's presence to you, then just to, to stay in that place. Don't necessarily rush on, move away from it. Might be that you want to put some worship music on and just and just remain in God's presence, um, letting Him minister to you, which means kind of touch you and uh, bring you into alignment with. The truth of who he is, just as Paul was talking about that, wasn't it? It's about us moving into, into alignment, the reality of who, who God's made us and who he really is and who we really are. And, and, and often the, the battle of this life is, 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 is walking away from the lies and into the truth and, and just resting in the, in the truth. And, I, and so, yeah, particularly I just want to agree with those prayers that, that Grace was praying and, 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 we, and we bless, bless each other, don't we, in the name of Jesus to, to be healed, to be whole. To know God's goodness and love. And this week going forward, um, we bless each other in the name of Jesus again to, to, to walk in the light of that truth. That we are loved, that God is with us and he's for us. And, uh, and, and we live the God life from that, from that position of knowing that he's good and he's for us. And, and, and Lord, we agree with that truth.
Thank you. Amen. Great, we're going to finish there and uh, we'll see you again soon.